You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Morallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Alex Varallo will be joining us here in the very near future. He's running a few minutes late this evening. But thanks a lot for tuning in. We have um, Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News will be joining us shortly. Talk a little bit about training camp, Sam Darnold, all the names you want to hear about, Quinn and Williams, some of the rookies. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll run as many topics as we can as possible. Uh, once Manish joins us, and of course, you know we have some news to cover. As you've, as you know by now, of course, the Jets made a couple of moves along the offensive line, added Ryan Khalil, multiple-time Pro Bowler, at center, and then they made a deal. They sent a conditional seventh-round pick to the Baltimore Ravens in exchange for offensive lineman Alex Lewis. Now, Lewis is a guy who it was it had apparently posted to his Instagram account that he was going to be let go. The Jets then swooped in. Apparently they must've liked Lewis enough that they didn't want any of the teams ahead of them and the waiver priority to snag him. And why not offer Baltimore a conditional seventh round pick, which from my understanding is basically contingent on whether or not Lewis makes the roster. If the Jets hang on to him, the Jets give up a seven. If he doesn't do enough to uh, pique the Jets' interest or enough to impress the brass, then he will be let go, and the Jets will not lose the seventh rounder that they have. But you have to like this move. He's a guy who has experience at left guard and left tackle. Honestly, the deal just went down a couple days ago, so I haven't had a chance to watch any film on him. I know I I did take a peek at his PFF stuff, which is, you know, as we always say, not, not a Bible, but a nice guide. Uh, his, his numbers at left tackle weren't very good. His numbers at left guard were up and down, but he did have some stellar performances there. And Ryan Khalil, of course, this is a move. This I'll I'll tell you before Manish calls in because this was, you know, of course, would be the story we'd lead with. This being, as we all know, one one of the biggest weaknesses on the Jets roster was considered the center position, right up there with corner. Jonathan Harrison, as I'd said before, I don't think was as bad as many people felt. But I also realize he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't an elite guy. And you have to wonder, you know, Ryan Khalil is a guy who's been an all pro. Is he still an elite guy? Probably not. But is he still pretty damn good? Probably. And you have to figure the big, you know, one big concern with him, of course, will be the injury history because there is a significant one there. I uh, missed a bunch of games over the last couple of years. Played, didn't miss action last year, but over the previous two seasons, it was uh, it was not pretty. Uh, played eight games in 2016, and I believe six games in 2017, and then played in every game last year. So, looking forward to watching some some film on both these guys. Really, you know, but you add a a legitimate starter and and a, and a depth guy. And the thing with Khalil, I'm going to be honest, early on, 
I was a little bit, you know, when I first heard the signing, right, see, see the tweet come across, the, the Bleacher Report, whatever, the updates. And I thought, oh, my God, what, that's awesome. They got Ryan Khalil. You know, this is a guy, really good player, fills a huge need. And I saw the price tag, uh, which, for those of you who hadn't heard, $8.4 million, which I thought, that sounds like a, a lot of money for a guy who sitting at home on the couch. It, it sounded, I worried, it, it concerned me that the Jets called this guy and said, you know, do you want to lace him up again? We'll give you, you know, we'll give you $4 million a year to get off the couch and, and play. And if it, it just sounded like enough money that they had to beg the guy to get off the couch. And that worried me. I thought, is this, is this just Ryan Khalil thinking, damn, I thought I was done with this, but I can't walk away from $8.4 million or up to $8.4 million. And it, that, that worried me. Is it, is it, what is it, you know, geez, man, what a, a payday like this, didn't see it coming, can't turn it down. I guess I'll go, you know, throw the pads on, bang around for a little bit and, and, you know, ride off into the sunset. But when you, when you, when you hear him talk to the media, you know, I watch Khalil address the media and, you know, I say it all the time. I get that these guys, you know, the, 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 the players, coaches, execs, who are, these guys aren't hundred percent honest with the media. We know that. Uh, but sometimes you just get a vibe. And I listened to Ryan Khalil, and I thought, I think this guy really does want to play. I don't think this is a, a money grab. I think he legitimately wants to play. I think that he was probably in a position where he was going to let teams know that, figuring there would be, you know, multiple offers. So he was going to get, he was going to be well compensated. And I think he just said, look, here's the number it's going to take. And the Jets to their credit, understanding the need, went out and paid it. And I you know, I've said before it's no big secret. You know, I I it's not I'm not alone in this and you know, as much as I say all the time that I I supported a lot of the moves Mike McCagnan made, his biggest error as a GM was the O line. He didn't find enough quality players. He just didn't. And when there were two quality centers staring him in the face in free agency this year, he didn't pull the trigger on a deal and didn't get it done. And now Joe Douglas comes in and says, I got an all-pro center who, again, he's, he's not going to play at an all-pro level this year. I get that. But he's going to be a hell of a lot better than what the Jets have had the last couple of years if, again, if he can avoid the injury bug. And for my money, you look at this team, this roster up and down, the way this thing is shaping up. And I think injuries, and I've said it before, I've, I've said I think this team has enough talent to make the postseason. And that was before they got Khalil. With him, that just makes it, you know, the, what he should be able to do for Sam Darnold when they're coming up to the line and trying to figure out what a defense is doing, that, that could prove to be invaluable. That alone makes Ryan Khalil, even if physically, if he can't bring a whole lot more than what Jonathan Harrison can at this point, Khalil is still worth having because of his experience. He's one of those guys who's been around, he's seen it all, and he's exactly what you want Sam Darnold to have in that huddle under center. So he brings a ton of value there. 
But when you look at Khalil's injury history and you look at Quincy Inunua's injury history and you look at the fact that Tremaine Johnson was dinged up for a good portion of last year and you look at the fact that Marcus, Marcus May is out right now and has missed some time. And there are other, you know, Bilal Powell obviously missed a ton of time last year. So there are a lot of guys on this team, a lot of key guys who have had major injuries just within the last year or two. And, of course, health is important for every team. Everybody wants to stay healthy. Everybody can be impacted by, by injuries. That, you know, that this doesn't make the Jets different. But you look at what they've put together, and I think injuries at this point you would have to consider to be the the number one concern. And I believe we have uh, we have Alex on the line. Alex, you with us? Hey, Glenn, how you doing, bud? I'm doing quite well. Uh, it is. I am still solo at the moment. We are waiting on Manish to call in. But uh, just give you a quick recap. I just gave my quick opinion on the the Ryan Khalil and Alex Alex uh, Lewis moves. Um, and I will say, I, I can't remember if we discussed this or not, Alex. Uh, I want your thoughts on Khalil, and I'll tell you mine real quick. The listeners don't have to hear it all over again. But basically, when the, when the story broke, I was excited. When I saw how much the Jets were paying him or what the contract could be worth, I worried a little bit because I thought, are they having to pay this guy enough money because he just doesn't want to play? Is he at home thinking, I'm done, I've hung him up, I don't want to play anymore, and the Jets just keep upping their offer until they get to a number that he says, well, I may as well just show up, get a check, and, and you know, bank another few million, uh, you know, and walk away into retirement. However, my my fears, my concerns were were erased when I heard him talk to the media. I think he sounded genuine. I think he wanted to continue playing. And I think the Jets just happen to be the, you know, the first or one of the first teams to reach out to him and uh, and make him an offer. And for an all-pro center, and, you you know, you want to protect that, that franchise quarterback, I think the Jets just paid what, what Khalil wanted. But I don't think it was a situation where he didn't want to play, which was my initial concern. Your thoughts, Alex? I uh, definitely like the move. Uh, came a little bit out of nowhere. Um Apparently, it's been going on several weeks, so this wasn't uh, an easy uh, deal to come to terms with, but Joe Douglas was able to, you know, meet common ground and find the right price to to get Ryan to come out of retirement. Uh, I do recall uh, when I was looking at some of the offensive linemen uh, prior to uh, 2019 and seeing his name on there, and I said, you know, even if you could find him on a team-friendly deal, that would be somebody I would I would consider on the on the second tier uh, after Paradis and um, Mitch Morse. So this is going to bode well for Sam Darnold in this offense as far as uh, offensive line protection. Uh, you have that veteran uh, mentality there and the experience to go with it. So this should theoretically make things a little bit easier for Sam up front when they're uh, assessing the defense. So I'm definitely excited to have that. Um, I was intrigued to see how the uh, Jonathan Harrison project would have played out. Um, And who knows? Uh, At this point, uh, we don't know what kind of condition Khalil is in, how long it's going to take him to get back into football shape. Um, 
Uh, I'm sure the mental game is probably still fine-tuned. It's just the physical aspect that will definitely take way here. Uh, all in all, I, I'm happy about uh, getting some much-needed help on, on the offensive line and, and the uh, Alex Lewis situation. It's a good depth move. Uh, we know that the sport is extremely brutal, and what we see today may not be the roster that we see come week one or at week eight or in December. So you definitely need uh, plug-and-play caliber players um, at every position, and prior to this upcoming week, I don't think we had that kind of strength or depth at the O-line. So adding two offensive linemen definitely need it. Um, as Joe Douglas said, you have to win in the trenches, and it looks like he's been doing that. So all in all, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the moves that they've made thus far. Yeah, I think uh, I think Jets fans across the board are excited about this, especially, you know, to add a, a an all-pro and a, you know, even even a depth guy. And you, you did it by giving up, potentially giving up just one draft pick. Of course, Khalil, you get without giving anything up but the money. So you're retaining picks and adding quality players, or at least you know one quality player in Khalil. But what I was uh, what I was talking about as you called in, I don't know how much of it you heard, but w- when you look at Khalil, you look at the injury history. I think that you know, and I said, of course, every team has injuries. Every team has worries. Every team wants to stay healthy. Every team will experience injuries at some point during the year. It's a matter of how bad, how long. I get all that. But the Jets especially now, with you know, we've been saying all offseason that their two biggest weaknesses were center and corner. And now that they've addressed center, corner, as important as it is, it, it has to be viewed as the biggest weakness on the roster. Even still, I think they have enough to overcome that and, and, make, and be a playoff team. But the injury questions... There are enough guys on this roster. When you look at Khalil, when you look at Quincy Inunua, when you look at Tremaine Johnson, who was hurt a lot of last year, when you look at the amount of time Bilal Powell has missed, when you look at the fact that Marcus May is inactive right now because of a shoulder injury, I mean, a lot of key players who, should they remain healthy, figure to be huge contributors to the 2019 season. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. I feel like the only thing that can stop the Jets from making the postseason this year well, two things, actually. One that I should have mentioned. Uh, one being injuries. If they can stay healthy, I don't see how they don't make the playoffs. Unless we find out, and I'm not saying this will happen, but unless we find out that the problem in Miami was Adam Gase and not the quarterbacks. Um, and uh, But I, I don't think that's the case either. And the, this isn't a prediction as much as a, you know, racking my brain and trying to be realistic and not have the, the green colored glasses on. I'm trying to think of a way this team can miss the playoffs and on paper they're they're good enough i don't care what anybody says a lot of the stuff that that people are picking at and 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 i had this discussion with so i had this exchange with somebody on twitter the other day and i don't know what it is i you know it, it's fine to be you know to kind of put your own team under a microscope and be critical and point out the weaknesses that's fine we do that all the time but i feel like when you say can this team make the playoffs Fans interpret that, or some fans anyway, at least the ones that respond to me on Twitter, whether they shoot me a private message or they respond openly on Twitter, they sort of have this standard in their head that a team, a roster has to be flawless to make the playoffs. How are we going to make the playoffs? Our corners are weak. Okay, 
Like, how many teams in the NFL don't have a weakness? How many? You're going to tell me every team that made the playoffs last year didn't have a weakness? They were all flawless rosters? It, it comes down to talent. And do you have enough of it? And to me, looking at, you know, we, we've talked about up the middle with the backers and Williamson and Mosley, Jamal, Jamal Adams, and hopefully, hopefully Marcus May. You know, Leo and Quinnen up front with Henry Anderson and McClendon. These are good football players. There's not, there's not a guy in that bunch. You know, Jordan Jenkins, now, of course, opposite Jordan Jenkins, there's some questions. But there's certainly a lot of reason for optimism when you look at the way Brandon Copeland played last year and with what, J- what Ja'Kai Polite brings, even if he's a situational pass rusher. There's a lot of talent. And then you go to the other side of the ball, and people are still, oh, the O-line, the O-line. The, listen, the O-line last year was nowhere near as bad as people said it would be. It was nowhere near as bad as people say it is now. I, I, will, I will say, against the run, they were, they were, pretty te- they were terrible. But in pass protection... They were nowhere near as bad as everybody says they were. And they've added an all-pro left guard and an all-pro center. And people are still, oh, we need an O-line. We need an O-line. What, do you need an all-pro at every spot? And again, even if, even if you know, Khalil won't be played at an all-pro level this year, he's still going to be pretty damn good. Health, again, health is the question. But up and down this roster, I see injuries being the biggest question mark. Injuries and corner. And by the way... I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets add a corner before the season starts. But this, this mentality of where does Glenn get off saying this is a playoff team, this roster isn't perfect yet. You don't, you, you don't have to be perfect to make the playoffs. Um, but, I mean, Alex, would, would you say the bigger concern in your mind right now, would it be the talent or the health? Because I think the health is the biggest issue. Um, health, health for sure. Um, I don't think there's a talent problem on this team. I think it's a matter of how quickly can the, the, the new guys on this roster gel and execute the game plan every Sunday. Cause that's what it really comes down to. The players have to make plays. So, you know, it's all collaborative. The, O-line has to, you know, hit their cues and, and hit their blocks and, and the running backs have to know the plays and you have to know the, the hot calls and, and the, the quick adjustments at the line, all those things. So, I mean, a lot of it's going to be on number 14 uh, on how well he can orchestrate Adam Gase's offense. I think that's going to play a huge, huge factor. Um, and also just how quickly these guys will be acclimated with also the defensive schemes and the, the personnel changes and the packages. So, there's a lot that has to fall into place in my mind to, for this team to, to make the playoffs. As we know, nine wins, 10 wins is not guaranteeing you anything in our conference uh, because, you know, we have the Patriots in house and, and they're just might as well lock them up right now as the number one team in the AFC East. So there's a lot of things that I feel that have to fall into place for this team to do. So I do feel that they are extremely uh, have improved their roster from last year to this year. So theoretically, they should uh, be a more competitive team. But what's really interesting to me is that before the Khalil and the uh, Alex Lewis signing, uh, this was a playoff-mandated team, according to certain individuals, you know, on social media. So now what's interesting to me is 
well, if we were a playoff band aid team before Coyle got here, what has changed? You know, why why is it now Trent Williams or Bust? Because I keep saying like I keep seeing that, and people are talking about giving second round or third picks or this and that. This guy's due what twenty three million over the next two years, and he's thirty one, thirty two years old. So it's not a bad idea. Um, you know, if the Jets were air quoting in a win now situation to try to you know get as much uh, veteran talent that you can get to make a run at this, uh, I feel that the Jets just need to make a step. And what they need to do is is, is show improvement that you know the Patriots are not going to have an easy walk to the playoffs and, and lock up a spot, you know, come week 11 or week 12. We got to, we got to go one and one against them this year. Uh, we haven't done that in a long time. So there's a lot of things that I have to, that have to fall into place for me specifically. Again, health is definitely going to be the key factor uh, because if Le'Veon Bell gets hurt, this changes the offense entirely. We do have guys, good guys behind him, but without him, I'm not feeling as confident in this offense. Uh, also, Sam Darnold, uh, he got hurt last year. So, again, if he's out, uh, it's going to be a major, major uh, difference between him and Simeon or anyone else. So, yes, health is definitely going to determine uh, the success of this team and, and, and how quickly they can execute and gel into the system. You know, you mentioned the possibility of uh, calling up Washington to try to get Williams and add, you know, add that that stellar left tackle. And man, I had a huge brain fart when his name got floated out there. He just, sometimes this happens. You forget how old you are, and it, this is how like you wake up one day and you're forty, whatever. You think you're still nineteen. I could have sworn that dude had been in the league like three years. And I sent out a tweet saying, you know, here's a chance to get a good young left tackle. Um, man, did I? I can't believe he. I I, I thought he was like twenty six, twenty seven, which isn't young, young. But if an old lineman keeps himself in shape, it's not uncommon to play to, you know, 35, 36. So I'm thinking, here's a guy you can get, might play seven, eight years. He's 31. Like, you're getting three, maybe five years out of him if you're lucky. Um, that being said, I wouldn't give up a one or two for, for the guy. But if you call the Redskins and say, we'll give you a three, a conditional third, you know, based on health, if he misses too many games, it becomes a four or something like that. And you include Kelvin Beecham, which offsets the salary. Uh, you know, Beecham to do $10 million. That would go away and uh, make Williams much more, you know, much more uh, palatable in terms of his, his contract. But uh, to not, you know, because I, I know what you're saying, cause, and I threw that question out there because there were people saying to me, you know, wh- why trade for this guy when, you know, just we got to draft better. We got to draft better. Like, I understand that, and I understand this uh, – you know, the, hey, let's build through the draft. I get that mentality. Um, but there's got to be a balance. Like, you're not going to have 53 guys and none of them were acquired through, you know, free agency or trade. There, there are other ways to acquire players. And when you have this roster, a roster like the one the Jets have right now, that whether, again, whether people recognize it or not, it seems good enough to compete. And you go out there and you, you have a chance to get a left tackle. Uh, who can, you know, keep your, your star quarterback upright and clean for, like I said, probably at, at least the next three years, if not beyond that. I, I would have no problem going out. Now, for a one or a two, I'd have a problem because you're talking about age. You're talking about injuries. You're talking about how many years you're going to get out of the guy. So, yeah, a one or a two, I would not do. A three or a four and Kelvin Beecham. As, and I, I, 
I love Kelvin Beachum. I, I think he's a I think he's a good player, not great, but he's a good player who is underappreciated and probably from a character standpoint might be about the best guy in that locker room. So it's not it's not that I don't like Beecham, but if you can go out and, and make that upgrade and have his salary offset a little bit, I think you make that move if you're the Jets. But uh, we're going to go to uh, New York Daily News beat writer Manish Mehta, who joins us live to talk a little bit about the Jets, about training camp, Sam Darnold, et cetera, et cetera. Manish, how you doing tonight? I'm good, Glenn. How are you? Uh, doing great, doing great. Me and Alex here, we've just been kicking around a couple ideas about or thoughts on the, the recent Jets moves. Um, Alex has been out of camp a little bit, but of course you've been there every day. So we wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, of course, let's kick it off with, with everyone's favorite topic. Uh, what are your thoughts on Sam Darnold a few weeks into year two, uh, hearing almost overwhelmingly positive uh, news on Darnold? But w- what have you seen and what have you liked? Well, I, I've liked a lot, uh, to be to be honest with you. Uh, dating back to the spring, uh, just learning a new system. You know, obviously trying to develop a, a chemistry and a rapport with Adam Gase. Uh, now he's been far from perfect. Uh, he, you know, he has fair share challenges early in camp, uh, and he really still does going up against Greg Williams' defense every day. But there's been so many promising moments. Uh, that uh, make you excited, frankly, to, to see what he can do in his second season. I think he's going to make a significant jump. I think he was going to make a significant jump, regardless of who the Jets hired. But just having, you know, an offensive-minded coach, uh, a coach who's had uh, you know, intimate uh, playing and coaching experience with uh, one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history, and Peyton Manning, can only benefit Darnold. So, yeah, I, I'm excited to see just how much better he can be and how quickly he can ascend because you know the physical gifts are there his comfort level in terms of being a leader is clearly more apparent uh this training camp than it was in his first training camp which is to be expected but uh you know he's got uh, he's got all the tools he's got you know a good head on his shoulders and i think he as i've said now for you know over what a year and a half and really <laughs> really dating back to his usc days i think this is a kid who has a all the the opportunity to be a star in this league so, Manish, uh, who do, what do you think about Quentin Williams? Obviously, he's become a, a fan favorite. Uh, everybody loves the big smile and the personality. Uh, what have you come to see from, you know, the few days in camp from him? Well, he's immensely talented. Uh, you know, that's not groundbreaking news. But uh, it's clear when you watch practice, you know, he had spent the, the first half of camp, I would say, working with the second team. And it was evident that he doesn't belong on the second team, going up against second-team offensive linemen. And he's been rotated in more with the first team. And he'll get in the first-team reps tomorrow uh, with Leonard Williams out with the hip issue. So you'll see him uh, against NFL starters. I, I think he's going to make an immediate impact. You know, I, I don't know how much of a learning curve there's actually going to be. Now, I'm not projecting him to be a pro bowler this year. But in terms of being uh, you know, an immediate contributor and a difference maker on the defensive line, uh, you know, I would be surprised if he wasn't, uh, you know, based on his talent, based on what I've seen and what I've heard in the organization. You know, he's a he's he's a you know he, he's a guy who's got immense ability, a guy who was uh, you know the number one player on many teams' draft boards for a reason. So if he can stay healthy, it's going to be a formidable uh, group up front, along with Leonard Williams and Henry Anderson, you know, Steve McClendon helping out as well. There's such a deep group. Uh, 
along that defensive line, I think uh, you know that's going to be the the strength for Greg Williams at least for this season. And staying on the defensive side of the ball, Manish, is it um is it time for Jets fans to start panicking in in terms of uh, Marcus May hearing that he's dinged up again? And you know this is I kind of I felt like he played all 16 games in year one. So you give him a break on year two. He had some injuries, but now you know he hasn't even stepped on the field yet. He's he's battling another injury. Is it time for fans to start worrying? And is is Joe Douglas going to be uh, maybe looking to grab himself a safety at some point? Well, you know, I, I think there should be a, you know a, a fair level of concern. Uh, you know, does that mean he's going to not be ready for Week One against Buffalo? I, I can't say that. Uh, I don't think the you know, the Jets medical staff, to be honest with you, can say that on August 7th. You've got a month before week one rolls around. Clearly you want to see him uh, at least get out there and start practicing and hopefully be ready for the third preseason game. If that doesn't happen, at least get out practicing for a week or so before the season starts. But, uh, yeah, look, he's a tough player. He's an aggressive player. He's been nicked up uh, at, at various points in college. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the full slate that he played as a rookie. Uh, unfortunately, he got hurt in that last preseason game against, uh, I think it was the last preseason game against New England. And uh, and even last year, missing, what, maybe one or two games with a thumb issue, I think a lot of guys probably would have missed a month or so. But he's, he's a tough player. Is he injury prone? Uh, man, it's a tough label to put on such a young guy. But uh, I, I think you should be concerned. And, I, and I'll say this, when, when Adam Gase got hired, he had you know, uh, some level of concern uh, about Marcus May. He eventually came around because you know, the talent is there. But uh, when you're dealing with uh, a nerve issue, with, which is what this is uh, on his surgically repaired shoulder, it, it, there is an unknown there because you don't definitively know when he'll be back. Could he be back next week in practice? Perhaps. Uh, uh, could it be a couple weeks? You know, maybe. Uh, I, I think what the Jets uh, are mindful of is that they need to make sure that when he's back, he's back for good. Because you, you run the risk if you take him off the active PUP now, then uh, you know, you're kind of hamstrung if he's not ready when week one rolls around. So you want to kind of leave some wiggle room there and, and be cautious and be smart about the healing process. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you would be naive if you weren't concerned uh, about about his availability just given the litany of injuries that he's had. Uh, it, it's a shame because, you know, when he's healthy and when he's right, you know, we saw pockets of some really exceptional play as a rookie. He's, you know, clearly got a lot more to learn. But, you know, a healthy Marcus May to go along with Jamal Adams is such a, a formidable duo at the safety spot. So, uh, will Joe Douglas make a move to try to get a safety? I mean, you know, how about first things first? I really do think they need to get a cornerback uh, at some point over the next month, uh, if if nothing else, to improve the level of depth. Because if there's one area in that secondary that concerns me and should concern Jet fans, and I know concerns people in the building, is that that cornerback group is shaky at best. And while we're on the subject with uh, the cornerbacks here, uh, it, it seems like it's locked in with the top three of Tremaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts, and Brian Poole. I think Poole's having a really good camp from what I've seen. But is there anyone uh, that has emerged or looks like they're heading in the right direction, possibly uh, Derek Jones or Perry Nickerson? Or is there maybe somebody that the fans aren't familiar with that you've seen that, that might make a case to, to crack the top four? 
Well, you know, Nicholson's an, easy, uh, an interesting guy because let's start with him since fans are, you know, they're familiar with him. Uh, uh, yeah, he was kind of in that third, fourth team early in camp. Uh, and I noticed uh, these last couple of practices, he's had some reps with the second team. Uh, and for all of these guys, whether it's Nickerson, Jones, uh, they have an undrafted kid uh, whose name escapes me who's been playing and getting some reps with the uh, with the second team as well. Uh, seeing is believing. Uh, you know, Adam Gase had actually spoken about uh, spoken about this the other day, just kind of what he and Greg Williams are looking for in these preseason games from uh, you know from these lesser known guys. But I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. <laughs> if you ask me, are any of these guys going to be reliable? if asked to play in a regular season game uh, right now, uh, I think the answer to that has to be no. Uh, you know, Nickerson's got some run last year, but, uh, you know, I, I would not feel confident. And, you know, you, you mentioned off the jump about Tremaine Johnson and uh, Dow Roberts, Brian Poole in the slot. Uh, you know, I know Tremaine Johnson is, has been a solid player in, you know, in moments with the Rams and in specifically in moments with the Rams under Greg Williams. But this is not a Pro Bowl player. This is a veteran player who's never made the Pro Bowl. Dal Roberts, to me, had a, you know, a season out of left field last year. He played exceptionally well for what I thought he was to what I thought he produced last year. But is that something that he can duplicate? Is he a reliable guy on the outside? And Brian Poole is the guy who Atlanta gave up on. And you know, you'd mentioned how Brian – Poole has played in camp, and I agree with you. He has, he has had some good moments. But if you're going to be fair, uh, you know, he's also had some moments where Jameson Crowder is, uh, you know, eating them up in practice. So it mm-hmm. does go both ways. He's a physical player. I do like his style. I love the attitude that he brings. And, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think you could do much worse in the slot position than Brian Poole. But the, even these top three guys, to me, it's, it's questionable. And then when you take a, a larger look at this defense – if the Jets can't consistently get home and get pressure on the quarterback, and we already have, you know, we haven't talked about it, but I'm sure you guys have talked about it ad nauseum this offseason, we already know about the shortcomings uh, on the edge. If they can't get consistent heat on the quarterback, I just can envision a lot of chunk plays given up by this defense because the cornerback play is shaky. And the last thing you want is to repeatedly give up 30, 40, 50-yard touchdowns because you can't get home and your cornerbacks are a little bit iffy. So, uh, you know, for all the promising younger pieces on this defense, uh, the fact that the cornerback position, to me, is you know, the fact that it is weak, that could be an area that could be a persistent headache for Greg Williams this season. Yeah, I think a lot of people are, are kind of so you know convinced that the Jets are going to have to make a move at that position before the season starts. Um, one guy that thought just popped into my head a little while back was uh, Razul Douglas in Philly with, uh, you know, there being some level of familiarity there for Joe Douglas. But um, I wanted to talk about uh, another young defensive player because his name's been popping up a lot. And he's a guy that um, Alex and I talked about quite a bit after the draft. We really liked him. Um, we keep hearing that Blake Cashman is getting some run with the, with the ones in, in, uh, in the nickel package. And that he's really impressing a lot of folks. So, are you are you getting that impression from from Cashman at this point? And is he a guy who could uh, find himself getting significant playing time despite being a fifth rounder? Well, he's done some good things in coverage, uh, and they have uh, you know, cycled him in with with the first team in various packages. And I think that's what 
what Greg Williams really likes to do, you know, whether it's Cashman, uh, you know, some of these uh, younger players uh, on the edge, Basham was getting some run with the first team. Harvey Lange was getting some run with the first team before he injured his knee a few days ago. Uh, I think what they want to do is get some of these unknown pieces, some opportunities, and some looks with the starters to just kind of get a sense of, you know, what they can and can't do, and they'll get opportunities, obviously, in the preseason as well. Uh, Cashman, you know, he came in, and you guys know this, he came in with the reputation of being, you know, high-motor guy, high-energy guy, uh, a bit undersized perhaps. He does have some, some health concerns in his history with the two shoulder operations, or it might be more, but shoulder operations on both shoulders. So uh, that is a, a level of concern. But uh, he'll get an opportunity. That's what this preseason is about. It's for guys like Blake Cashman to, to show Greg Williams that he deserves some kind of playing time and some kind of package because that's what you know, that's what Greg Williams' M.O. has always been. He, and it's very much like Rex Ryan, to be honest with you. He will try to find uh, packages for as many players as he possibly can. And maybe it's a small package uh, you know, for a particular week. But if you can prove to him that you can do something particularly well – He's going to find a way to get you on the field, and that's what I, you know. That's what I liked about Rex. Uh, that's what I'm liking about what I've heard uh, from uh, people who have worked with and played for Greg Williams in the past. And so uh, Cashman's going to get an opportunity. He's not someone who's going to be marginalized because he was a late round pick and because he's a rookie. He has uh, a high football IQ. He's picked that up pretty quickly right now. So uh, you know, these next three and a half weeks, these next four games are going to be important for guys like him. All right, so I'd like to uh, go on to the other side of the football and talk a little bit about the offense, specifically the running backs. Now, there there seems to be a pretty crowded room at the moment, and uh, in my opinion, I think, obviously, Bell and, and Montgomery are pretty much locked in. And then there's the veteran Bilal Powell and the two younger uh, running backs that are on rookie deals in Elijah McGuire and Trenton Cannon. Now, from what you've seen in your opinion, how do you think this is going to pan out when the 53 rosters, um, you know, deployed, who's going to stick and who do you think might uh, end up being the, uh, the odd man out? Yeah. Uh, I am terrible with roster projection. The beat writers actually do a 53 man roster pool. And uh, I think I did it the first year, like a decade ago when I was like eight players off. So uh, I have a, uh, not participated in that in the last eight years, but look, they're not going to keep all five of these guys. Obviously, Trent Cannon right now has a you know the, the lead in the clubhouse to, to be the kick returner. That doesn't necessarily guarantee him any kind of spot, but that's kind of where the Jets are at right now. To me, the interesting uh, and probably the most fascinating question among this running back group is whether they decide to keep Eli McGuire or Bilal Powell. Um, Bilal Powell's got the edge if you kind of just look at how the the reps are divvied up uh, in camp for the first, you know, couple weeks. Uh, you know, my position has always been you've got two veterans in Le'Veon Bell and Ty Montgomery. If you didn't have those two guys, if you just had one of them and you wanted to keep a Bilal Powell, who's a, a guy you can rely on, smart player, uh, you know, good pass protection from him, uh, you know, in, in many ways, you know, on a much lesser scale skill-wise, but in many ways – uh, he reminds me of what uh, Frank Gore was for Adam Gates in Miami, and clearly Gore's a superior talent, but just a you know just a veteran presence in the backfield that you can rely on. Uh, but because you've got Montgomery and Bell, 
I, I would tend to think that it makes more sense to keep Eli McGuire unless the coaches, you know, go through the preseason and, and they don't think that McGuire's good enough. And and maybe that's how they still feel. You know, I can't say. I don't think they can say for sure. But based on what I saw last year, I, I would tend to want to keep Eli McGuire. He's got him on his rookie contract. He showed some good things last year. He's younger. Uh, Blau Powell is not the most uh, – you know, he's not the most durable guy. Uh, he, he's been banged up and you know, obviously missed a big chunk of last year because of his neck issue. And, I, and this is coming from a guy who loves Bilal Powell. You know, I've been around the guy for 10 years. He's incredible in terms of being a selfless guy. Uh, his work ethic, he leads by example. Uh, you know, top-notch quality person. Uh, but, you know, if you're deciding between Eli McGuire and Bilal Powell when you already have the veterans in Bell and Montgomery – I, I would I would choose McGuire, to be honest. Now, Manish, st- <clears throat> staying with the offense, uh, one thought I've had this offseason, I don't know, some people told me I'm crazy, maybe I am, but I wanted to get your thoughts because I look at this roster, I look at some of the moves they made, I understand they, you know, they need as much help as they can get along the offensive line, but from what little I've seen of uh, free agent addition Tom Compton, I, I watch him play and – he does. It doesn't look like there is a a wide gap between him and a guy like Brian Winters, and uh, Compton probably is the more athletic guy. Do you think there's any chance that this team looks at at these two players and says, you know, Winters is due to make six point five million, Compton's due to make less than two? Is there a chance Compton takes Winters' job? Wow, you know that's a that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, is money an issue for the Jets? If if not, then I, I would keep both guys. If money is an issue, then you know, as you just laid out, it would make more financial sense to keep Compton. Compton is an interesting player because he, you know, he started off actually as the backup center uh, before the Ryan Khalil uh, signing. He was playing second team center behind Jonathan Harrison. He had never played center before. He was a, a guy who played left guard. Started 14 games for the Vikings last year. Uh, you know, he played both guard spots in his career. I think actually early in his career, he might have played a little bit of right tackle as well for the for the Redskins. Yeah. Uh, he's a good depth piece, and I think that what Joe Douglas has done in adding Khalil to be the starter, and then in effect adding depth because now Harrison is a backup, and then uh, most recently trading for Alex Lewis. We'll see if Lewis can stay healthy, but that's another additional depth piece. Uh, I think it just makes sense to to keep as many you know, decent quality offensive linemen as possible, why take away some of the depth? Unless, of course, you need the money. Clearly the Jets don't need the money, at least on paper. Uh, so, you know, if you take that, was... that financial aspect out of it, I, I like the idea of having quality depth at the offensive line. I think Joe Douglas does as well. Yeah, that I and I should have thrown that in there. That was a point I made the other day that, this, you know, doing that with the thought of possibly, as we said earlier, um, adding a corner somewhere down the line because you know we've heard this off season about some fairly well paid corners who may come available. Um, and if you, if you go out and grab a guy who's due to make you know eleven twelve million, money could get a little bit tight. But uh, I get what you're saying there. For the sake of cutting him, no. But I think this team will look to make some moves and uh, and add some guys who make a bit more money. But uh, I think Alex had one more question for you, Manish, and then we will be happy to let you go. Okay, so this one came actually from Twitter. Uh, one of my buddies reached out to me, and they were curious to to know who who you like at the wide receiver position. Um, more more along the lines of, and I know you, 
the prediction uh, question here. Um, how many do you think they're going to roll with? And, and is there a sleeper that you kind of have your eye on that you think has a good shot of uh, maybe having an early impact uh, for this team? Well, you, look, you got the three guys up top, right? Robbie Anderson, Quincy Anunwa, and Jamison Crowder. Uh, I, I don't think it makes sense to part ways with Deontay Burnett, so I, I think Burnett will make the team uh, – I was going to say Rex Ryan. Oh, God, what a what a brain cramp. Adam Gase, not Rex Ryan, has come <laughs> out and publicly play, praised uh, Tim White, who's kind of bounced around. He's uh, he flashed in, uh, in camp uh, – now, you know, a word of caution, I've seen a lot of receivers through through the years flash in camp and then just disappear uh, when, when the lights come on in the preseason. So White's clearly a guy that Adam Gase likes and has taken notice of. We'll see what he does uh, what he does when the preseason rolls around. But he's a, you know, a quote-unquote sleeper. I guess if you follow the Jets on a day-to-day basis, his name has surfaced, so maybe it's not entirely surprising to you. But, you know, just from a – you know, a general NFL fan perspective. I'm not sure there's that many guys who, who know who Tim White is. So, I mean, he would be a guy who I think would, you know, you, you can keep an eye on. There, there's some guys who have crossed paths with uh, with uh, Adam Gase in the past. Uh, you know, Bellamy's a guy who's mainly a special teamer, but he technically, you know, is a wide receiver as well with his values in, in special teams. Uh, and then there's uh, Deontay Thompson, the kid who was uh, – in Buffalo, actually, like did a few things in Buffalo once upon a time. He's shown some things uh, that were encouraging in practice. But uh, how many they're going to keep? I don't know. How many do you think they should keep? Six? I I, I go between six and seven myself personally, um, mainly because I think that Montgomery's going to be the Swiss Army knife that can you know be moved right. around so much. So I think that gives them the leverage to maybe go a little light with the wide receiver. Um, group just only because you know Montgomery can play both, so I would probably right. Say I agree with that, and you, you can say in, in, in a similar sense, uh, you can say that Le'Veon Bell can be you know used as a receiver during course of game during the yep. course of games, which he will be as well. So uh, yeah, they just need this this initial three, the top three guys, uh, you know, on their depth chart to stay healthy because all three guys missed time last year: Anderson, Anunwa for the Jets, and obviously Crowder for the Redskins. Uh, you know, and and he's got uh, Enuma, who's you know dealing with a groin issue right now. So, uh, and he had that scare with Crowder. So it's only been like two and a half, two weeks, right? And two two of these three guys have already been nicked up a little bit. So you do have to be concerned about that if you know one or 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 two you know, misses time. You know, who who fills in? You know, last year we saw Burnett for a brief time. Did you know did a couple things that were decent? But uh, no, I do think that wide receiver doesn't get talked about as much. Uh, uh, with this team, but I do think that wide receiver is going to be an area that they're going to be looking to upgrade in the offseason, whether that's through the draft or free agency. Uh, we'll also ultimately find out what they do with Robbie Anderson, uh, whether they want to commit to him long-term. They've already committed to, to Quincy uh, long-term, so to speak. If, you know, if you look at the deal, it's you know, maybe, maybe more of a two-year deal instead of a four-year deal, but uh, they clearly want these guys to, to be around beyond 2019, but but I do think that ultimately Sam Darnold needs a a dynamic weapon at the wide receiver position. I, I think he has one in Chris Herndon, and I think that will play out over the course of this year when he returns from the suspension and in years to come. But I, I think in terms of a, a, a true number one wide receiver, I know that Jets fans 
like to say that that's not necessarily that important. You know, having a, a collection of guys who are, are good is, is important, and there is some truth in that. But it would be really nice for Sam Darnold to have that, you know, that clear number one wide receiver who can, uh, you know, threaten defenses week in and week out. That is Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Manish, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it as always. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. Take care. Have a good one. All right. So that was Manish Mehta, Jets beat writer for the Daily News. Pops on the show every now and then to uh, field our questions. And I just want to take a second now to thank our sponsor, Jet Nation Radio. would like to thank our sponsor, Miles Social. Please visit milesocial, M-I-L-E, social.com to find out how Mile can help you with your business by managing your website and social media accounts. So that was uh, those were Manisha's thoughts on the team as it stands, that part at the end where he talked about the wide receiver, number one, versus a bunch of good players. Um, I'm one of those fans. I fall into that camp. If you give a guy four or five quality targets, that should be enough to win with. I think that uh, historically, if you look at the last, especially even at the passing game, Alex, you know, people talk all the time about how the game is just so heavily skewed toward the passing game, which it is. Uh, you look at these teams with these elite receivers, and it, like if you were to list the top 10 receivers in the NFL right now, I would venture to guess that nine or 10 of them have never won a ring. Whereas teams, you look at the last five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Super Bowl winners. They rarely, there isn't a Megatron, there isn't a DeAndre Hopkins. You know, it's Alshon Jeffrey. You know, it's who do the Seahawks have at receiver when they won? You know, the, the Patriots do it with Edelman and Gronk, and of course, I mean Brady. You know, it feels like anybody would, wouldn't matter who you plug in there. But I just, I think, and I, I think of like who are the ten best receivers of the last. 15 years, 20 years. And most of them don't have rings. It's usually a team that spreads the ball around and maybe has, you know, one guy who's who's an above-average player. And I feel like the Jets have that. Whether you want to say it's Robbie, whether you want to say it's Quincy, I think those guys are damn good receivers. And, and at, you know, Manish mentioned the injuries these, these guys have had. And, and And so where do you fall on that, Alex? Do you think... You've got to have a Megatron. You've got to have a DeAndre Hopkins. You've got to have one of these big-time receivers that can just that can beat any double coverage. That can you know that can go up in a crowd and pull down a big catch. Do you have to have that guy, or can you just say, look, we've got, you know, we've got Robbie, we've got Quincy, we've got Crowder, we've got Herndon, we've got Le'Veon Bell who we can split out wide. We've got guys like Bilal Powell who can catch the ball out of the backfield. I mean, there are a lot of targets on this team. I don't feel like, you know, you've got to have the big-time guy because Terrell Owens never won a ring, you know? Might be the best receiver I've ever seen in my life. You know, even with Jerry Rice's numbers, like when Terrell Owens wanted to play, and actually that wasn't an issue with Terrell Owens always wanted to play. You couldn't stop the guy. He was phenomenal. Randy Moss, he was the guy who played when he wanted to, but he's another great one. Those are probably the two best receivers of our lifetimes, Alex, is, is Moss and T.O., and neither of them have a ring. But, uh, but Alshon Jeffrey and, and uh, Brent Selleck as a tight end have one in Philly. Do you have to have that number one guy, or can you spread it around and still win? 
Yeah, I think that you can go back and forth and, and debate each side of the coin on this one here, but there there's plenty of evidence shown that if you collectively have enough talent on your team as a group, you can be successful without having that pure number one Hopkins or, you know, Michael Thomas or, you know, any of the, the top five guys that are in the league now. Yet again, if you look at Dallas, it looks like Amari Cooper was the one that kind of was the final piece of the puzzle for their offense because everything kind of was determined on the running game and they didn't really have a good receiving threat. So, you know, they added Cooper and now they have Witten. So obviously things have changed in their philosophy. But again, if like you were to look at other teams that were based on a strong running game and a strong defensive team um, and they wanted to, you know, do the game management style uh, uh, in their game plan, you can be successful and you can win a lot of games that way too. So I think it does help, um, especially if you have a young quarterback uh, that can, that he can rely on. Now what I tend to think of is I, I think of Matt Stafford and how majority of his targets and everything went right through Calvin Johnson, Megatron. And then when he left, there was a little bit of a downfall in his numbers, mainly because he had to learn how to use everybody in his uh, system rather than just heavily targeting the one target. So it can be good and it can also be bad if you're you know, in the process of developing a young quarterback. I think that the Jet situation is very good for Sam Darnold because he won't be focusing on, on one or two guys. He, he collectively has uh, enough talent at the tight end position, at the running back position, and we've got three different types of wide receivers that can all uh, bring something to the table. Um, you know, I heard uh, on one Jets drive last night to quote Sean Jefferson, you know, Quincy Nunwa is kind of your do-it-all guy. Um, and then you have Robbie Anderson, uh, who obviously can threaten the secondary of the defense. And then you have a guy like Crowder, who is savvy and and uses his quickness to get into open areas and exploit, uh, you know, those, those little tight windows of the defense. So I think for the Jets as of right now, um, we, we don't really need a a true, true number one uh, because we have so much different, uh, you know, a variety of talent. Uh, But looking at, you know, the roster now, and obviously things are going to be different next year. If you are in a position, and from what I'm being told, or, or what I'm reading rather, um, next year's wide receiver class is, is like something that hasn't been around in years. Um, it was compared to a class a few years ago, um, and I forgive me that I forget the year, but they're saying that there hasn't been this much talent at the wide receiver group um, for a very long time. So obviously, if the Jets are, find themselves in a position to where they can get somebody that is dynamic, I don't see how it could be a problem. Uh, but at the moment, I don't think it's one of the biggest needs on this team. I, I would still, you know, maintain the focus to build in the trenches um, to, to get Sam upright because once the line is in place and, and we know that Sam can, can have enough time to go through his progressions, the offense is just going to start rolling uh, because if, if you go for the big wide receiver next year and we don't bring in enough talent at the offensive line and Darnold's 
you know, running for his life on, on every third down, we're not going to be as successful as we perceive. So I, I still feel that that's something on our priority list. I just don't see it as the top priority. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that because of the injuries, they will look to make a move at some point. But uh, we're going to go to the phones right now. We have a caller calling in from uh, 856 area code. Caller, what's your name? What do you got? Hey, Glenn and Alex. It's Akeem. How you guys doing? Akeem, hey, long Hakeem. time no speak. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. Uh, you know, you guys are one of my favorite podcasts, so I thought I'd call in when I got the chance. Because I have two questions for you guys. And really, you know, I want to talk about Jordan Jenkins first. And I feel like he's a player that's about to break out. And he's an unrestricted free agent coming up this year. And I would love for the Jets to extend him. So, like, I want to, you know, try to get an extension done before the season because I really think he's going to have a great year. Um, so, I wanted to ask you guys, what do you, what type of contract do you think it would take to give this, this guy to accept an extension now? Or are you guys even willing to offer him an extension at all? You can go and take that one first, Alex. All right. I'm leading off. Uh, Keen, thanks for calling in. Um, glad, glad to hear you again. Um, I'm a big fan of Jordan Jenkins as well. Uh, that, that's 100%. Uh, I really like the steps that he took last year. I think that he could build on that. Now, um, I'm trying to go ahead and, and look up uh, some of the guys that got paid last year. Uh, one of the players comes out to me is Preston Smith. And there was somebody that was, I guess, your a mid-level edge guy, and he got paid, you know, a pretty decent salary. And as far as I know, he was was not a one of the top elite edge rushers. And I, I would put him comparable to to what Jordan Jenkins can do. And he got paid pretty decent, so I don't think it's going to be a, a team-friendly deal. Um, now, there, there was a comment that Jordan had made when he was asked about uh, being in his last uh, year of his rookie deal, and he said, if I don't produce, I'm gone. And that's the mentality that he has going into the season. And uh, I think that that's great motivation for him. I do feel that he's probably going uh, to to flirt with the you know, double-digit sacks this year. I could, I could definitely see him attaining seven again. The question is, will he break nine sacks this year? And that all just is how quickly this Greg Williams defense uh, can can gel and if these guys can buy in and, and, and you know, produce at, at a high level. So I do feel that Jenkins um, is in a good position um, collectively with what we're going to have with the big push up the middle that should create opportunities for him on the outside. You know, right off the bat, if I were to give you a, a number to play with here, you know, I would probably – would try to ink him in on maybe like a four-year deal somewhere between seven to eight and a half million dollars. You know, I'd like to keep it under 40 million if at all possible, but it does seem that the salary cap keeps going up and, and, and edge position is just such a giant need. Um, I would hate to be in a position to where we were in a, a bargain situation with another team. So if you could give us a team friendly deal, that would be the best scenario in my opinion. But, I have a feeling that if he does improve what he did from last year, he, he warrants a, a big contract. Yeah, I think that Jenkins and I had it out. There was somebody uh, somebody got upset with me on Twitter a few months ago because I or a couple months ago because I said I 
I thought he could be a 10-sack guy. If you look at the fact he had seven last year, uh, he had a bunch of QB pressures. Uh, I think he had somewhere 26, 27 pressures. You think, you know, if he converts a couple more of those into sacks, you're looking at a 10-sack season. I think that this regime is going to want to see him up close and personal in their defense before they make any offers. And, I, you know, there's the one side of me that says – it should be a 10-sack season for him because he's going to be playing in a more aggressive-style defense under Greg Williams, and the talent up front has improved with the addition of Quinn and Williams and hopefully Ja'Kai Polite. But then there's that part of me that says, well, there's only so many sacks to go around. And if Quinn and Leo and Henry Anderson, along with uh, McClendon, are collapsing that pocket, you know, we might see some sacks go to some of these D linemen. And, uh, and you know, these, these quarterbacks, once they're under pressure – you know, that they're going to be on the run and, you know, who, who's to say who, who comes away with the sacks in these situations. But I think we might see an increased number of sacks for the defense, but kind of spread out along, you know, among a few other guys, maybe see their sacks go up a little. I'm expecting that, you know, seven or eight sacks from Leo this year, another seven or eight from, from, uh, from Henry Anderson and Ja'Kai Polite, I think is going to, is going to get to the quarterback a little bit. So I think, I think, 10 sacks again I've, I've said it I've said a few times I think that's around where Jordan Jenkins will end up but then the more I think about it and say it's almost like when you have too many guys on offense like there's only so many footballs to go around you know you can't not every guy is going to score 10 touchdowns if you can get one one or two guys to do that you're all right but you can't say like man Hearn you know we I, I mentioned the names earlier you know you know Robbie Quincy Herndon Crowder Bell is a receiver okay that's great but there's only so many so many balls to go around. There's only so many uh, you know reps on defense. So would would I re- I would I would absolutely resign him now if you can get him you know at a reasonable deal. But I think the team is going to want to see what he does in this scheme. And I think if if he does break out and he does get himself a ten or twelve sack season, then uh, the price tag there will be no discount, and the Jets will have to pay up if they want to retain him. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. You guys got some great points there. Uh, I'm just a big fan of his work. I just uh, also think he's a great, uh, you know, team player, always putting the team first. You can tell he works outrageously hard, and all the coaches speak so highly of him. And I think he's, you know, a ascending player for us. And, you know, we have many of them. Um, and so I wanted to ask you guys as well, uh, there's maybe a lot of potential, like, fringe players that we have. You know, our roster is probably the best it's been in, like, the last eight years. Um, do you see an opportunity for us to maybe swing a trade kind of like we did with the Eagles for, like, Terrence Brooks, Dexter McDougal, you know, the other year, like where we have an excess maybe number of running backs. I see, like, Elijah McGuire, Bilal Powell, and maybe we can trade them maybe with the Eagles again for, like, a cornerback, a position of need. Do you see any fringe players on our rosters uh, that maybe can be traded before, uh, you know, week one? For me personally, I think that uh, pulling off trades is so tough nowadays especially, you know, Eli McGuire, as much as I like him, he's unproven. Powell's coming off the major injury. I don't think anybody's going to give you, you know, have any interest in those guys. And if they do, it's not going to be for more than a, you know, kind of like with the Jets just pulled off a, a conditional sixth or seventh rounder. Uh, I, I have said a, a few times, and I said at the top, I wouldn't mind seeing a deal where they go out and try to get Trent Williams and you include Kelvin Beecham in that deal. And, uh, and also, you know, having mentioned Brian Winters earlier as a guy who I think could lose his job. I don't know if, if, you know, what he would bring in a deal. But, I mean, the bottom line is that the Jets, you know, they are going to – or I, I'd be shocked if they don't, I should say. 
address the corner position before the season starts. Now, in terms of who's on the roster, who might have some value, maybe it is a guy like Brian Winters for a team that's desperate for offensive line help. Because let's face it, oh, and this is why I didn't, you know, I knew people who got upset when the Jets extended Winters. They felt like they overpaid for him. I think not enough fans respect how bad offensive lines are around the league right now. And uh, and even if you're sort of an average starter, you're going to have some value. So maybe something there. But in terms of the backs, I've, I've had people ask me that before with, you know, with the number of backs they have, might there be a deal? I just don't see these guys having any value, uh, you know, above that of a sixth or seventh rounder, if that in some cases. Alex? Yeah, you know, I think that this would be subjective uh, to, like you said, scenarios. If there was a team after the first week of preseason that, that gets a detrimental injury and, and they see, they feel that they're extremely depleted, um, maybe there's an offensive lineman, like you said, like Winters, um, it, that would draw interest to somebody. Um, maybe something like maybe if Trevor Simeon blows up uh, the Giants tomorrow and, and airs it out, and uh, the Jets still feel confident in the Davis Webb and Luke Falk. Uh, I'm not saying that we're going to get a Teddy Bridgewater-style deal, but crazier things have happened. I, I think that there, it would have to be a specific scenario where another team would, would be borderline desperate because, you know, this team, let's be honest, we've, we've brought in some, some good talent at, at specific positions, but I don't feel that we are in a position just to – to exercise the market unless if we were to get something like you said like another lockdown corner or something like that and I wouldn't even know what that would warrant a player in a pick something like that a um, little bit of a tough one to, to, to kind of put my thumb on but uh, you never know what happens over over the course of this week it happens every single year um, teams you know just roll in and somebody just gets rolled up on in a pile and, and they get injured and then next thing you know uh, the phones start ringing. So definitely something interesting to see uh, what Joe Douglas might have in mind, uh, you know, looking at the radars of other teams and, and unlike those bubble guys, like you say, Hakeem, uh, Joe will definitely be busy for sure. I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, you know, thank you guys for answering my questions and thank you guys for all the work that you guys do. I'm always reading your articles and stuff. And definitely, Glenn, I think you're the first person on that Brian Winters possible cut because I think it's a legit option for the Jets to save a lot of money, and especially after we signed Ryan Khalil, where now Jonathan Harrison can add even more depth to that guard position. I think you were spot on, and I think it could very well happen. But thanks again, guys, uh, for uh, having me on. I look forward to listening to your show and uh, Manisha's interview as well. All right, take care, guys. appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Always a pleasure, Akeem. Have a good night. Yeah, so you know, he mentioned the Winters thing again, and you know, I, as I've said, it's it's not a, a, anything against the guy. And I'm I'm curious, like I'm looking at over the cap right now, overthecap.com for all of your salary cap needs. Check it out. Um, I think they just have 22 million in cap space, but I don't see the Khalil deal on here. So that basically, that. you notice that too. <laughs> yeah, so really, you're looking at they've got about 15, 16 million. And uh, if they're looking to add a corner, which I would imagine they are, uh, who was, was it Chris Harris that was rumored that, you know, the Broncos are willing to move him. Um, and I think he's at like 11 million a year. Say you go out and get a player like that. Now, now you're 5 million under the cap. 
And teams mm-hmm. don't like to be that close to the cap. Teams like to have enough room, uh, you know, to make a move in season and give themselves that five, six, seven, eight million dollar buffer. So if they make a move for a corner, well, now now they're in that range where it's uncomfortable, and you start looking at Compton and Winters and saying, you know, Winters is a six point five mil savings with zero cap hit. But uh, I won't beat that dead horse anymore. I talked about it. It's uh, may happen, may not. You know, if it doesn't, people will say I'm an idiot. Uh, if it does happen, people will say uh, you're an idiot. That was obvious. Everybody knew that was going to happen because this is what we do. So before we go, interesting. Oh, sorry about that, Clark. No, no, go ahead. What were you saying, Alex? Well, I just wanted to, to touch upon what Hakeem was saying on, on how it may be such a lucrative move to try to sign Jordan Jenkins on a team-friendly deal before he hits the market next year. Uh, maybe the Jets get a little creative and they put a tender on him that makes it almost impossible for other teams to want, like what they did with Robbie Anderson, now they put a second-round tender on him. Um, they they made it so if you want to get him, you have to give us something back that's a premium. And I think that the deal worked out to like $3 million or something for Robbie Anderson. So that was definitely a good move by McCagden. If they were to do something like that with Jenkins, that would be pretty interesting because I'm looking at Preston Smith's contract right now. And this is a guy that had 26 sacks or right around there for over his four-year span, or I think it was 25 sacks. So he's averaged around you know six sacks a season. And this guy is currently under a $52 million deal for four years. And he had four sacks last season. So if Jordan Jenkins were to take a step and, and crack double digits this year, just predicated on, on what you've done late recently, um, who knows if he could get something comparable or better than that um, if, his, if he has a good enough agent, per se. So I like Hakeem's point of, you know, keeping the uh, – in-house talent and, and, and trying to make the best deal possible that works in their favor and for us as far as the Cavs concerned. Yeah, and if you look historically, it seems that every year, unless you're talking about, you know, a mega, mega, mega star, you know, anyone who's not in that, you know, that upper echelon, guys tend to make a lot less when they stay with their teams versus hitting the market once the bidding starts. But before we wrap things up, Alex, um, just share with us very quickly. Of course, we covered quite a bit of camp with Manish. Any other thoughts you have on training camp? And give me uh, give me three players you're going to be keeping an eye on against the Giants tomorrow night. Go ahead, Alex. Okay. Uh, so I've been, uh, you know, representing delegation for, for two practices thus far. I've been to all the open practices. So I, I, I've had my eyes and my ears down to the ground for this team for, for a few weeks now. Uh, I'll have to say that every – Every practice that I've gone to, uh, you know, there's a Tim White would be one of the guys, uh, you know, that Manish had mentioned. Uh, I kind of feel that he's almost the Trey McBride uh, of like last year's camp. And so I'm just wondering if, if, if he's just going to continue to do things. And then when it push comes to shove, he might find himself off the roster. But uh, Greg Dortch, the UDFA, uh, he looks like he's got a really good shot of making the punt return um, uh, job. And uh, he is also getting some reps as a kick returner. So it looks like he has a little bit of an edge as a special teamer. And he just seems to keep finding, uh, you know, the open areas uh, through the defense. And, and I will say that Greg Williams, it, it has been really hard 
to try to keep an eye on all the personnel changes from when he calls out one formation and three guys are coming on and, and then he'll call another one and four guys check in. And, and it's just been really, really uh, impressive on how quickly everybody has bitten into this playbook. Um, you know, and, and if you make a mistake, you better believe you're going to hear about it. Um, that's the one thing that I have seen is that the energy level coming from the coaching standpoint is night and day compared to last year's uh, staff. Um, it's just, these guys are holding the players accountable. Um, one thing that I liked is when, when mistakes were made last year, the coaches would do push-ups and the players would do push-ups and stuff like that. Uh, they're not really doing that this year. Um, I, I saw a play uh, on Tuesday uh, where they were just doing some uh, some footwork drills with the cornerbacks and kind of misdirection and, you know, pointing the ball left, pointing the ball right, now come to me, catch the football. And one of the guys dropped the football, and immediately when he got back into into line, he dropped down and he did 10 push-ups. And I've noticed that that the players are keeping themselves accountable for their mistakes. The coaches don't even have to, to even say drop down and give me 20 um, because they're already doing it. So you can definitely see that uh, the coaches are doing a really, really good job, uh, you know, getting into the players' heads and making sure that they know their assignments. Um, I haven't really seen too many um, uh, huge mistakes um, as far as when they're doing their, their 11 on 11. Um, you know, the, it always seems like the defense um, begins with the edge in the beginning of practice. And then as the, the, the day goes long, the offense seems to gain more and more momentum, uh, mainly with guys like Crowder, uh, who's been super impressive. Um, I think, Robbie Anderson, um, we all know what he can do. Uh, he looks as fast as lightning this summer. Uh, so I, I definitely think that this offense is going to have an opportunity uh, to, to keep team defenses uh, on their toes. You know, if you want to load up the box and try to, to stuff Le'Veon Bell, well, that's going to be a problem because there's other guys in this offense that can, that can do things and, and, and cause problems. And, um, just real short uh, with the offensive scheme that they've been doing. I love the way that they've been utilizing the formations with Bell and Montgomery, uh, putting them both in the backfield and then motioning one of them out. Uh, and then they'll hit you, you know, possibly with a draw play or a screen play, or they'll, they'll hit the guy coming out in motion. Uh, it really seems like the defense has to do a little extra communication to make sure that they don't blow an assignment. And I can tell you from last weekend's camp, Montgomery was almost unstoppable. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what 88 can do. Um, he's on a, a very, very reasonable deal this year, a one-year deal. So he knows what he's got to do to try to get that, that big second um, contract that people talk about, the one that, you know, is going to take care of your children's children. Um, so I think that he's highly motivated uh, at this point. And it, he's definitely going to be an important cog of, of this offensive wheel moving forward. Um, now, as far as the Giants, um, I, I'm definitely looking forward to Ja'Kai Polite. Uh, he, he's been, you know, bringing it to a little bit more each day. Uh, it seemed like he was buried um, in the roster. And as of last Tuesday, he was working with the second team. 
so he, he's climbed up from the fourth to third into the second string um, or, already in the first week, uh, which is really great. Uh, I'm, I'm most definitely uh, interested to see how the safeties do because Rontez Miles has been getting a lot of reps as the one, whereas last year this time when Marcus May was hurt, Doug Middleton was the guy that was getting all the snaps. And now it seems that Middleton's on the second string team and, and Miles has been getting um, more opportunities. So it would be interesting to see how the free safety position, uh, you know, plays out tomorrow night. And uh, if I had to go with one more, uh, I'll be, I, let's go with big baby face uh, Q Williams. I'm, I mean, this guy is, is going to cause havoc on the interior aspect of this defense. And I, I definitely feel that his name might be called uh, a few times tomorrow night, maybe for a tackle for a loss. I hope he gets a sack, to be honest with you. But we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll keep my excitement reserved at this point. But Quentin Williams, Ja'Kai Polite, um, and then I'd like to see, you know, how Miles and, and Middleton, you know, will hit a slash on the free safety position, What how that shakes out. All right, Alex, all great stuff. <clears throat> Me personally, Ja'Kai Polite agreed. I want to see some Blake Cashman, and I want to see Wesco out there and see, uh, see how he looks as a blocker against some other professional players. That will wrap things up for us tonight. Thank you very much to our guest, Manish Mehta, the oh. New York Daily News, for joining us. Alex, thanks so much for your recap. Thing, sure, go right ahead, Alex. Uh, we did not forget um, we were doing a fan giveaway um, for a oh, autograph yeah. call. Um, so we do have a winner, folks, and I will uh, tweet this. Uh, Daddy Jarrett at DMAN2582, congratulations. You are the winner for the Jet Nation football. Um, just a side note, uh, when, when I was uh, asking uh, to get this, uh, Derek uh, Jones happened to hear what was going on. He came over to me and he said, let me make it official. And he took the ball back after he signed it and he hit it with a hashtag Jet Nation on it. So I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, congratulations, uh, Danny Jarrett. All right. Another player, I mean, got Derek Jones and Deontay Burnett. People are tired of hearing me talk about those two guys. Um, but all year last year, talked about them. And two more guys to watch this this Thursday night. Thanks so much for tuning Dane in. Bell's Thanks, Manish. What's that? I, I just saw a tweet. Someone, maybe it was Costello, said that Bell will not be participating in tomorrow night's game. So there's your yes, as, the as he on, should on not Bell. be. He should not be touching I mean, a football in a game until week one. Thanks for the reports, Alex. Great job. Thanks for tuning in, Jets fans. We look forward to uh, catching up with you again next week. And, Alex, actually, we have to talk about that because I will not be around. So, Alex will be joining you next week. I will be trying to call in from the south of France. We'll see how that goes. That will wrap things up for us tonight. Take care, and thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time. Go Jets!